0: Um, Our Bible is open at this text. Thanks to Paul for reading it to us. Uh, There's lots of slots and segments to this service. You would expect that, so time is squeezed. And then some of us have already been over the last few hours to not just one but two services. We tip our hats to you. So let's just jump right into the heart of what's here for us. Notice firstly what's going on in a wider sense in this text. That is the main emphasis and at Paul's angle. What's his angle as he picks up his pen and he writes into this church and he gives the whole place a great model for ministry? We need to see that first and then we'll narrow the angle and we'll come right into the theme that one would expect of a church's um, with each other kind of night. We'll get to that shortly. But notice firstly, your attitude, Paul says, So, yours, uh, your church, we could say, uh, you as pastors and leaders and members, before ever we think of what's going on outside our church, you as church planters, uh, you as brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus. Look at what he's saying to us. Your attitude in Philippi, and now even tonight, needs, he says, to be a mirror image of Christ's. And I want us to be thinking just a little this evening of what this means for for you, your church, and for me and all of our lives. It's much the same as what he says to us over in the eighth chapter of Romans where he tells us that God is working everything in our lives all the time for our good, and yet... Where is the good in our losses and struggles? Maybe some of us are sitting here this evening and we are right in that kind of place. And so Paul writes to unpack how he shapes even that for our good as we all are conformed, next line, even in losses and even in struggles. This is what God does to me as he brings us right into the same image and likeness of Christ. It's the same thought. We got a text this week from a girl over in Ireland, her, her father has died, her eldest son six years old, has cancer, and her youngest of three weeks is currently clinging to life as we speak in a coma. It is, frankly, the worst of times, and yet she wrote, don't be angry in her text to her friends, for God has sent this to draw me close and work it for good as he makes me like Christ. What an amazing thing. So I want to say to you tonight that whatever else we learn over the course of this short time as churches about big things like service and making a dent externally for the gospel of Jesus and being on mission and building churches and whatever else there is that's here for us in this text, there just is no doubt that this theme stands uh, as the huge internal need from which everything externally springs. In our ups and downs, when uh, we're young and when we're old, when we're busy and stressed, uh, the way we're leading in our churches, the way we're serving in our churches, in our thinking, it's our speaking, It's our giving. I'm not sure we'd want to limit this text because always he's saying all our attitudes must be a mirror of Christ's. And there is that thought. It's as plain as day, isn't it? The fifth verse. Jesus sets the tones. I'm trying to say that's the general thrust, the whole point of this text, that our healthiness outside bleeds from church life inside in which Jesus is constantly setting the tones. Jesus models life. Jesus fixes the bar. Jesus is Christianity. Jesus is the example that we need in our church. Jesus is, Jimmy, if you're here, the example that you need in your life. Jesus is the standard bearer for all of our lives. Jesus is, we could say, a kind of prototype for me. Now that's this text. And I guess we could finish and kind of just camp in that statement and down our tools, so to speak, and recognize that not one of us are going to, play any part in gospel advancement, though there are great strategies, and not one of us will be involved in a great harvest of souls for Jesus, though there are great opportunities, unless first it is Jesus who is being seen in me. Because look at what he says to us. I know we haven't really the time to stop at this point, but look at what he says to us as he mentions. He could pick anything, but look at what he mentions here. Tenderness. Also compassion, first verse, you see? So that tenderness and compassion, both, he's saying, are marking our lives. And tenderness and compassion, both are fixtures in our churches. And we're not rough around the edges. And we're not rough husbands with our wives. And we're not rough as leaders and we're not lacking pastoral skills, and we're not riding roughshod and trampling carelessly on people's feelings. And why not? Well, because he tells us, your attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's an amazing statement. Jesus was tender. So suddenly he's saying it's not good enough to... Of the steam in our ears, or just being indifferent to the needs of others, because the church is this movement that follows in the footsteps of the one who models both those traits to me. He mentions in verse 4 the sin of feathering our nests, and now he's really getting right into the heart of his message and this issue of the church that's packed out with humble servants. And yet first, here's this sin, he says, of feathering our nests. And when we're fixated all the time with, with our interests and lives and comforts and preferences, and, and we're not burdened for others, and we're not thinking of others, and we're not spending our lives in the service of others. And all the while, there's, there's that we family right under our noses, or, or some, I don't know, area of our city that's broken and needing Jesus, and yet all our attitudes need, he says, to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, Paul says, and even the death of a cross. And what I'm about to say to you tonight is that over and above every strategy and every conference and every preacher, every book, every manual, it is this text. It's this life that takes us right to the heart of what healthy churches and humble gospel citywide advancement means. Let me give it to you. It's quite possible you were in this text as churches over Christmas, but if it was anything like my sermons, no disrespect to my colleagues, but if it was anything like my sermons, it's probably long forgotten, and so this is fresh to you. Look at what he says to us as we think tonight of what is acceptable service in the context of church to Jesus first. He abandoned his status when he came down for me. This brings us to this unbelievable statement that Paul makes, 6th verse. In this wider context, remember, as he writes to the church about pride, all the pride that springs up in our hearts. And so we're not serving one another and we're not serving the city and we're not giving our time to missions and there's no heart for others and the whole of the church needs to be based around me. And yet your attitude needs to be the same, he says, as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What is he saying? Well, I'm not sure what it says in the Bible you've brought to church, but highly likely there are a great mixture of different emphases and translations and words in our Bibles, and yet straight from the Greek he puts it to us in this sense, that your attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Next clause, he... Being in the form of God. Now I've got to tell you right here at this point, Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims and Mormons and Christians and all faiths were sitting together at Starbucks and someone turns to this text. We come to this word form. And then suddenly it's obvious to us that we're traveling in separate paths. And that we're not the same. And there's this wedge that splits us. And that actually what we're reading here is the absolute core of our faith. Because, you see, form in this text is referring to the very essence of the Lord Jesus. So, the nature of Jesus. This is the substance of Jesus. Uh, The makeup of Jesus. Uh, What constitutes Jesus? We could put it in this sense who is the Lord Jesus? And JWs would tell you that there's not a chance he's divine, but Paul responds, he is in the form of God. Which is clearly much more than some kind of external representation. That's not what he's saying to us in this text, where he acted like God, or he was resembling God, or he kind of sounded like God. He seemed to others as if he was God. As perhaps we would be saying if we used the same phrase in this sense, that Ethan, my oldest son, is, is in the form of his dad. He has the eyes, he has the sheerer FA cup ears, he's got hair, and the build that makes him pretty close to his dad, and yet Ethan is Ethan, and he clearly is not his dad, and yet I need you to see that's not what's going on in this text. As if Jesus is just Jesus, and close to, but not precisely the same as his dad, because Jesus, he says, is in the form of of God. Do you see? His nature, uh, his being all constituent parts all his traits his his power his absolute sovereignty his grace his mercy, his right to judge, all his peace, his attributes, his, his character, is all of it, which, of course, brings to life for us all kinds of gospel texts, like when Jesus was speaking to Thomas in the Gospel of John, and stick your fingers in here, Thomas, and, and stop your doubting and believe, and he did it, and faith came to him, and my Lord and my God the same thing in John 5 when Jesus healed in the Sabbath, the the leaders were spitting their teeth out. And so they came to him, what is this? To which Jesus says that his father is always at work and for this reason all the Jews were plotting because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was claiming to be God. And right down to his roots, in the form of God. And so Christians are being transformed into the likeness of God. Romans 12, same word. Christians are being conformed into the likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 3, same word. And yet Jesus is not, because he is in his form. And so surely now, you see, finally, the whole scene is totally set. And Paul is about to remind you that your humble service to Jesus, by comparison, is tiny. Your offering to Jesus, by comparison to His, is tiny. Your devotion to the Father, by comparison to Jesus, is tiny. Because look at what he's saying to us as he keeps going and writes to us. And explains to us that it was this Jesus that became nothing for me. Emptied, our model. Poured, drained to the dregs, that's what he's saying in the Greek text. So that nothing was left of his former glories. And nothing was left of his former honor. And nothing was left of his status and his worship. And then finally, even at the cross, his relationship with his father emptied. Poured. It was drained to the dregs. Let me put it to you in this sense. As human beings, we're constantly grasping and we're holding to even the tiniest of our rights. We put parameters around our offerings. We build hedges around our money. We keep our time. There are restrictions in sacrifice. There are lines in the sand and levels of service beyond which we're not really prepared to go and yet Jesus at christmas became nothing for me moreover there are times when we feel you know there's no one that really understands no one walks in my shoes and, and no one gets how this feels i was visiting our missionaries in the middle east last week and it's not glam. There's, there's no romance. It's not all bells and whistles. It's not that they're currently sitting there feeling this is the time of their lives. There are no converts, few friends, no national church, and they're working away. No one understands. And yet Jesus became nothing so he could say, hey, I understand. There are moments when we're conscious of great suffering in others, our friend in Ireland, and we stand at a safe distance and we say, Do you know, isn't it terrible? What a shame. And yet Jesus, our model, stood and entered into our shame. And I'm saying to you, this is where church health and church harvest begins. He abandoned his status when he came down for me. Secondly, look at this. He accepted a slave's place when he came down for me. And hence, maybe you remember we used to sing this, an absolute YF 90s classic. These songs, if you're of a certain vintage, are somewhat etched on your mind. This is our God, the servant king. Well, quite so. He calls us now to follow him, that's what he's saying to us, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship that's to the servant king. And all of that's what's coming straight to us in this text. The form of God is joined with the form of a slave. Isn't that amazing to you? Uh, The form of God, the nature of God, is joined with the nature of a slave. The one with the attributes of God takes on the attributes of a slave. And hence he comes and he does things that are just staggering in the Gospels. And so like that time, they were in the room and the twelve were lounging. And suddenly it is God who strips and serves as a slave. Basins and towels and right down on his knees. We fast forward down in the Gospels and on into the garden where the prospect of being the lamb that would bear sin was close. And again, Jesus, the slave, he suddenly leaps out to us in that text. And again from his knees, Father, not my will, no, yours. Let me serve you. Let me suffer. Let me debased. And again, I'm saying to you that Paul is saying to you and me in all of our lives that this is where church health and church harvest begins. It reminded me of the story that got a corner last week in most of the papers, this uh, massive super colony of penguins. Maybe some of us saw this. I'm sure it was last week in the press. A million and a half penguins just discovered. Someone stuck up their drone over the danger islands and they were checking the pictures and all of a sudden here were all these creatures. And it turns out for for years and years and years they were beavering away and living Their lives in total obscurity. No one had the first clue except God himself. And usually that's what slavery to Jesus means. It's all for his honor. It's all for his eyes. His worship. His fame. His name. And so he abandoned his status when he came down for me, our model. Jesus accepted a slave's place when he came down for me, our model. Third, he actually became like me when he came down for me. Do you see this? Given your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or clutched onto, but he made himself nothing and took the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found, this is God, in the same appearance as a man. And actually inside and outside is what he's saying to us in that text, because Literally speaking, he puts it to us in this sense. His being, or his essence, that's inside, was made in human likeness. He also was found in the appearance, that's the outside, as a man. Now, I know it's late and we're tired. Let me just say that to you one more time. His being, or his essence, inside, was made in human likeness, and he also was found in appearance on the outside as a man. And so, you see, not half God and half man. That's not what he's saying to us. Not God kind of masquerading as a man, but actually all God and all man. Which brings us all the way in, surely, to the length and the breadth and the height of Jesus' service, because God was born. He went so far, he had toes, and nostrils, and ears, and lungs. He was carried to his cradle. He cried, though still we sing it at Christmas, at little Lord Jesus no crying he makes, but God was a human, so he bawled and he cried. He needed his milk. He needed to be changed. He needed to be helped into a proper pattern of sleep. Uh, his parents would wash him and teach him to To talk and teach him, this is God, to even take his first steps with with Joseph on this side and and Mary over on this side and, and God stumbling and tumbling to the side. He worked in the business. He got splinters in his fingers. He lived with his brothers. There were times God was tired. Do you know, I think there are times when we've not quite seen the service of Jesus because there are pictures of Jesus with a, with a beaming face and halos, which we've picked up, I don't know, from kids' books and paintings and movies and so on. And yet isn't it interesting, again the Gospel of John, that when Jesus was right on the cusp of his ministry, he needed John to say it. Behold, look. Here's the lamb. He's here. Because so ordinary were his features. They hadn't a clue who he was. God had traveled so far and he had descended so deep and he had gone to such lengths that he now stood on this earth and he looked just like that amazing to you? Fourth, Jesus abandoned his status when he came down for me. He accepted a slave's place when he came down for me. Jesus became like me when he came down for me. Fourth, Jesus actually died when he came down for me. And you know, over the course of the last number of months, some of our saints have left this world, literally before my eyes dying and expiring as life ends. It has staggered me as I've traveled from hospitals back to the house that Jesus' service to reach me would extend to that state. Death. I mean, isn't it humbling to you how safe and self centered your service can be? Earlier in his life, he would humble himself when he wriggled as an infant and babbled and slept. He was humbled in the woodshop, given he once had made stars, and yet now here was Joseph teaching his maker to make chairs. Uh, He was humbled, as we've seen, with his basin and towel. Uh, He was humbled, as John tells us, because he came to his own. But so blind were his own, his own people wouldn't receive him. And yet now he is humbled as blood streams from his side. Uh, And weakness consumes him. And sins are absorbed. And God burns with a fever. He suffers. He thirsts. He struggles for breath. And then, finally, he dies. Augustine puts it this way. It's probably the greatest quote I've come across over the start of this year. He says this to us in an effort to sum up the great mysteries of Jesus' service. He says, The maker of man, he says, became man. That he, the bread, might also be hungry. That he, the fountain, might also be thirsty. That he, the way, might be wearied by the journey. That he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses. That he, the judge, might also be judged. That he, discipline itself, might be scourged with whips. And that he who is life might literally die. So I want to say to you tonight, as a reminder of the great gift that comes to us as Christians. That he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. This is our great gift. Message, maybe for some of us tonight for the very first time, so that all of the sins that have always plagued us are caught up in this epicenter of Jesus' service. It was total humiliation. And yet, somehow in Christian service, same. A carrying of our process. A laying down of our lives. And so Jesus abandoned his status when he came down for me. He accepted a slave's place when he came down for me. He actually became like me when he came down for me. Jesus actually died when he came down for me. Lastly, Jesus ascended because He came for me. Hence the therefore that's there right at the start of the ninth verse. And here he is in our text, risen and seated and exalted, and lifted up to the highest place, as it says in the ninth verse, and giving us time. That's the point. Even over the course of this service, so that at the name of Jesus, even our knees would bow. Think about that statement. Completely surrendering our lives across our churches before Jesus' name, so that our tongues confess, so that our sins are left, so that selfishness leaves me, so that self centeredness leaves me. Being uninterested in the needs of others, that leaves me. Uh, Being lukewarm when it comes to gospel expansion, that leaves me. And my attitudes from this point are the same as this humbled Christ Jesus who stepped up from his throne and reduced himself to a seat and became Nothing for me. Emptied himself to the dregs and then ultimately hung as an offering for my sins on the tree. Listen. May this Jesus set the tone in all of our churches. Imagine. May he be the example to all of the pastors. May he be our model, all of us as Christians. May he set the temperature that defines us as a partnership. May he constantly be seen in every church relationship. May his service for me be seen in my service. To others, so that inside there is health and outside there is a harvest. May He be our guide and our leader and our King. Let's pray.